Frick. Okay. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, welcome to Anti-Folly. This is episode 10, baby. Um, Sam is gone. He's having a great time right now. Um, but I am joined here with a guest. We talked about this. Me and, me and Sam talked about this and we're excited about this in um, episode 9. We're bringing on Xavier as a guest host. Welcome, Xavier. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me course and uh there was something else i was gonna say oh before we get before i should before i introduced you i should have said um we've been saying this at the end of our podcasts but we should be saying it at the front that we're we're pretty uh, fancy now we have a gmail account so we have an email so if you would like to come on the podcast like xavier's on right now um please just shoot us an email at uh antifollypodcast at gmail.com there's no hyphen in that, but I actually had someone that had our first email. Um, when was this? Just a, well, actually a few days ago, but I've been really bad at, I haven't replied to him yet. So I'm going to get back to, to Andrew later and hopefully get him on soon. So anyways, with that said, before we kind of get into this, the, the topic of the church, which is what we'll be talking about today, I just think it's maybe helpful to know a little bit about you Xavier so where are you from what's your major why are you here yeah um yeah so I guess I'll start with my major I'm applied physics major I'm not a not a biblical studies major but I can still talk about the bible amen uh I'm actually from New Hampshire so go to college out of state uh just really Really liked the passion for Christ here at the college that I attend. Um, and fun fact, I'm actually roommates with my co-host. Yours Ethan. truly. That's right. <laughs> yes. It's big facts. So it's pretty hype. We're just getting around to having every roommate on. So at some point, we'll have to have Nathan on to be our last roommate on. Wait, Eric was on the pod. Oh, and Eric. Oh my gosh, that's so bad of me. Uh-oh. So we'll have to have those guys on sometime, or do something. That'd be fun. <laughs> so, okay, we started with the Great Commission. That felt like a, a good spot, but I think um, it's maybe even helpful, helpful more so to to know this was definitely something that you wanted to do as a podcast episode um, and something that you're passionate about. And so I think it's helpful just to lay out what what about the church has just kind of um, yeah, interested you recently? Yeah, I've I've been really passionate about the topic, about church and the topic of the church recently because ever since, I mean, ever since the pandemic, I feel like a lot of people's thoughts on church, they were kind of revealed, and a lot of things about church were revealed through everything shutting down. Sure. And so um, people started questioning and wondering, you know, why is church really that important? Because they never stopped to think about it before. It was just something that they went to and something that they did. But now with things that are shutting down, they're like, oh, should I actually go to church? Like, why is this important? Um, One of the things that really sparked on this conversation Mm-hmm. Is that uh, is that uh, I was having a conversation with a friend, and they were like, they were kind of pushing on what they were like. Well, what is actually church? Um, like this college institution that I go to, that's my church. Like yeah. the people there, and so I started wondering the question of, oh shoot, like how would I even define that? Like why? Yeah. Like why is it important? No, that's, I think that's a great, and I think that's a great starting point because I think that's very true today is 
is firstly, I don't think many people are equipped with, and I and I don't think that even I am, until we had a, a conversation about it of what what do you define church as, and then secondly, you know why is it why is this a necessity? Especially we're seeing that very clearly, very clearly because of COVID and et cetera. Like, I think there are many churches that aren't gonna that have either that aren't haven't come back excuse me, haven't come back since COVID or have come back, but um, limited numbers or many people are still online. And um, I think it kind of, you know, begs, maybe we'll get in this later, that begs the question of why, why in person, why, et cetera. But maybe, maybe it's best to lay out maybe a definition first. What do you think? Uh, yeah. Um, so one definition that I, I actually found this is from a book called Rediscovered Church uh, from Colin Hansen and Jonathan Lehman. And their definition I thought was really appropriate and really solid. So in this book they say, A church is a group of Christians who assemble as an earthly embassy of Christ's heavenly kingdom to proclaim the good news and commands of Christ the King, to affirm one another as his citizens through the ordinances, and to display God's own holiness and love through a unified and diverse people in all the world, following the teaching and example of elders. Mm. I feel like, I mean, that's it's a big definition, but I think it hits on a lot of important things. Yeah, I, after looking into the topic of the church, it's like I realized you can't simplify it just down to like a building. Mm. You can't simplify it just to a place or just a group of people. Like there's multiple there's multiple attributes about mm. the church which are important to note. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true of lots of institutions, you know, like Bethel. There's there's a lot more going on than, you know, some brief little definition that's something this especially the church this large in, in a way i think that it, it you know it requires a lot of different things to make up the church and i guess that brings to mind um it, it makes me think about i had a class this last semester where we talked about church and kind of how it can become a confusing term because it is used we use it as a building we use it as the place we go on Sunday to the building. So I'm going to church at church, you know, and then you also refer to that. You can refer to that as, you know, the people that are at your local church, but then also like, you know, the, the church, we could talk about the church as like everyone who's ever lived that's in Christ as being the church. Um, and so I think it gets, it could be, it can become kind of confusing, which I think is why a, such a clear definition is, is very helpful. I, so as you're talking about like what different people see as church, I yeah. kind of want to pose that there are, there are two, like there are two different churches as we say, like in our culture mm-hmm. today, there's the universal church and the local church, um, and um, the local church is kind of the main topic of this discussion. But I think it's important to recognize the distinctions between the local mm-hmm. church and the universal church today. So the universal church is basically when you are saved, when you become a believer, Christ takes you into his family. Mm-hmm. And so um, with that, you become you become part of his family and you become part of this universal church with every other believer in the world who is to be who was and is is and is to come and so i think so the universal church isn't just a building or where they gather it's every believer mm-hmm. all of them in the world but that's that is an invisible an invisible body that we don't, you know, we can 
we can make some you know great guesses, but you you can't really know for sure. Yeah, and the the invisible body is a really important characteristic for this universal church. One of my one of my favorite things about the universal church is like, even if I don't go to the same local church as one of my friends, like there's still a brother or sister in Christ. Mm-hmm. Like we go to different churches, but we still hang out together all the time and can talk about the Bible together. And there's a connection. There's an instant connection there of, oh, he's a Christian. I am too. And so there's that shared bond over our divine creator. Totally. Totally. And I, I mean, that's what I love about the church personally is the, it transcends, it transcends every, every physical feature, every temporal measure. Like it's like faith in Christ and and God can see the heart, but we but we can't see it in that in that way. So He knows He knows who's part of His body, obviously. But um, I mean, just what an opportunity, really, to be a part of this. You're a part of this thing that's bigger, and maybe we in America, maybe more so, especially in America, it's like very individual. Like, I I mean, I believe salvation is it is an individual. You know, it's very intimate. You and God. God saves you, not just, he doesn't just save, you know, some, I don't know, generic, whatever, like it's you. It's personally you. And, but then you enter into this this bigger, greater thing, which I feel like the, the def, I mean, we could probably even just walk through the definition, parts of the definition, but that makes me think of the ordinances. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you can talk about the ordinances once I get there. But um, I'll just walk through the definition like you said. So a church is a group of Christians. Mm-hmm. It's not <clears throat> it's not a group of just random people who are going together and like singing some songs and then leaving and nothing's happening. It's a group of Christians because the church is the visible body of Christ. The local church, I should say. Mm-hmm. The visible body of Christ. We are there representing his kingdom. Um, and then we assemble as an earthly embassy of Christ's heavenly kingdom. That's just that, but extended. We're called to gather, and we're called to be a part of his kingdom. To proclaim the good news of the commands of Christ the King through the teachings of of the church, through the teachings of the elders in the church, the good news is proclaimed. It's evangelized, and it's evangelized to us, and we're being equipped, and we're growing to affirm one another as the citizens through ordinances. So baptism, um, Eucharist, prayer, and like all those things, we are being conf- or we are being affirmed that we are citizens of mm-hmm. of the kingdom of heaven. Like being baptized, we are like publicly declaring to the world, I'm a Christian. Um to display God's own holiness and love. So the church acts of charity like food drives and clothing drives mm-hmm. and things the church does to spread the love of God because Jesus came not to be served but to serve and likewise he has commanded us to do the same mm-hmm. and then through a unified and diverse people so it's not just church isn't just for like white Americans but it's for everyone like it's mm-hmm. for it's for anyone and everyone, because there is no there is no barrier, there is no barrier. The only what we all have in common is Christ. Yeah. And in the Bible, you see, Christ breaks down all these walls of like, oh, he's a Gentile, and Christ reaches out to him. He's a tax collector. Christ reaches out to him. And so, through a unified and diverse people, and then in all the world. Mm-hmm. And it's another extension of that. And then following the teaching and example of elders. So we have church leadership there. And the elders are like shepherds with Christ as the chief shepherd. And so the elders are basically watching over us, the flock, and having us grow in maturity with them. And so Christ has appointed them to be 
leaders and spiritual leaders for the church. That was really good. So I guess I'm, then I'm thinking is, especially with COVID and what's, what church has looked like for a lot of people or what, what Sundays have looked like is, is watching church on Zoom, is that church? While watching church on Zoom, it's like, it's this really cool thing, you know, that you get to be able to do, um, have your sermon out there and to be accessed, Mm -hmm. to be listened to. It isn't church. And I think the main reason for why is this call to gather. That's one of the biggest reasons. Okay, let's maybe talk about that then. All right. Where do you see this this call to gather? So this local call to gather, um, I believe in Deuteronomy, talks about um, like the people of Israel in the promised land are gathered, and he tells them to assemble regularly at the temple where he dwelled. Okay. Is there, I mean, do you know if there's any other direct commands for yeah. for gathering? There's uh, Hebrews 10, 24 through 27, which is also really good. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Mm. Don't neglect to gather. Okay, interesting. Interesting. I mean, I I definitely, I think I definitely agree with you that it's not, it's not church in and it's missing a few things. I mean, I can understand in certain circumstances. It's like uh, maybe tell me what you think of this like it's better to watch that than, than to not partake of you know, it's better to listen to a sermon on Sunday than to do nothing. But it's better to go to church than to watch like it on Zoom. Yeah. Would you, would you say that's fair? I'd agree. Um, okay. But I'd always ask the question, why do less when you can have more? Oof. Facts. That's facts. I I agree. I think it's in, it's been interesting to see, especially here, I think there are people that can go to church. They have every, I mean, they have every ability to go to church. But why go to, why get up and go to church? early you know when you can sleep in and watch church at like two and just sleep in on sunday and stay up late on saturday night yeah the the problem that online church is doing is like it's pushing towards this independent christianity Mm. of where it's like i think one of the worst things about um like this sort of online thing is like we're invited into christ's family and so he invites us in, and we look at him, and we're like, oh, yeah, I'd love to be a part of your family. And then you kind of go off on your own, and you don't mm-hmm. interact with them at all. <laughs> You're just, like, doing your own thing. Yeah, totally. But I think it's, I mean, I kind of think, I mean, I think it's foolishness, really. Is folly. Like, it's folly. Oh, what? Our podcast is called that. Like, literally, like. Exactly. Why would you why would you set aside this this gift and these opportunities to be in the family? And the the foolishness I guess to me is like thinking you can do it on your own. And I think that's a lie from the devil that that we tell ourselves often, whether that's with personal sins, um like, you know, I don't need to confess this sin to anybody because you know I'll just tell God and it'll be fine. And that's that's good to do. You should tell, you know, confess your sins to God. But why would you not 
also confess your sins so that, you know, uh, I think it's in James where it says, like, confess your sins to your brother so that you may be healed. Like, do both, <laughs> you know? So, interesting, yeah. Yeah, actually, it's it's funny that you're mentioning that, like, this sort of pride that we have in doing things on our own and kind of being like, I'm I'm alone in my spiritual walk, and it's just, like, me and God. And so I was thinking about that on the way over. Would you say that it's true that in your spiritual walk with God, God's the one who's doing the work and who is at work in you and moving you and growing you in your faith? Oh, I mean, totally, without question. So then, I mean, the scary mindset that comes from that is like, well, if God's doing all the work and all of that, why do I need other people? And like, why do I need to do this thing? Mm -hmm. And so what I was sure. thinking about was like, here you have the church, which one of its primary goals is to build up believers. And God, it says God is always with his church. Like the church is the bride of Christ. Christ is dwelling there. It is like as well as we are his temple, but like mm -hmm. the church where all these people are, are gathered, where all these Christians are gathered, God is gathered too. So if we know for a fact that he is at work within the church, why would we not go? and just say, well, I don't need these other people because God's doing all the work, but we know God's doing the work in his church. We know that for a fact. Mm -hmm. And so if we know he's working there every Sunday and doing good things there, why would we not want to interact with that? Mm. And that's like I was going to round out what I was saying there by saying, yes, God has done all these things, and he's done it through putting people in my life. Like God works through means, you know, all saw a bright light and Jonah got eaten by a giant fish and whatever. <laughs> and like in the, in the same, in the same token, like God uses people. And, and I think especially if you, if you're looking at this definition of the church, he places people in authority above us to correct us when we've gone off course. And that, is not going to be found outside of the church. And I think that's, we've talked about this, you and me have talked about this before, that that's what makes one of the big reasons why Bethel isn't a, Bethel isn't a church, is it's not, it's not doing that, and it's not, it doesn't watch over us in that way. Like, Bethel's like, oh, you broke, you know, these rules of ours, then we're, yeah, we're going to, you're going to be kind of in trouble. But that, that, it, it's just, it functions differently than a church would. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, you're totally right. <laughs> okay, so we've talked about kind of, we've kind of t talked about this definition of the church. We've talked about, um, I think some parts, some parts of that definition covered them well. Um, I think... Maybe just a few of, I think there's a few of them that's worth commenting on, especially the one that I'm probably most passionate about is um, that last bit about the diverse people. I don't know if you could read that again. Um, through a unified and diverse people in all the world. And that, like, I I swear, I I bring this up all the time. Um, I even just, had text, just texted it to a friend today um, talking about something that, I think of this this kind of stuff makes me think of Revelation 7-9. It makes me, it just makes me like, because, you know, this just this, this huge blessing of we know what is going to happen. It's not a, oh, well, Christ might be successful through the church, but, you know, Satan might be too. He might overcome and, you know, God's plan is going to be ended prematurely. It's like, no. People of every tribe, nation, and tongue are going to be gathered before the throne, worshiping God together. And and we get to see that not just as we look at Revelation, you know, this like end times, eschatological, you know, end of days, but we also see that in small ways, yeah, at church. And I, I, I've learned to be really thankful even at, my church is very small, Redeeming 
Cross Community Church, very small. And I'm super thankful for it. And there are people that look different. There are families. There are single people. There are, you know, dating, married, just every stage of life. So many ages, all those things. And I think that's very true across churches. And I would... I would also be clear that just because, you know, you have a majority white congregation or something like that, that doesn't mean that you're not church or something like that. But I think just in the ways that we're different, our different passions, you love physics and I don't. <laughs> I could not I could not do it. So it's like that's the I think that's the just that that kind of diversity in God's kingdom just really stands out to me. I'm really thankful for. Um, and I just love to say that like all the time. Yeah. Uh, you mind if I read Revelation 7, 9? Oh, yes, please. Oh, you do mind? I do mind. I would like you to read it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. And that, thank you for reading that, because I feel like that last bit there really captures the unifying force of the church, and that's God. And right. in his salvation, the salvation doesn't belong to us. It belongs to him and to the lamb. And why is everyone dressed in white? It's because Christ died and he took on their sins and he made them clean, perfectly clean. He gave them their, he, he gave them his righteousness so that when you look upon them, they're as white as snow. And that's, and that like, so that transcends so much of the, like, the human experience that, like, you go to a church and you can talk to somebody and it doesn't mean you're going to get along perfectly with everyone. Everyone needs to grow to learn, learning and learning to love people, but just that unifying force. And I think you see this a lot with, like, Paul calling us to be unified in mind and spirit um, and things like that. Right. Um one of the things that I think is really cool from this verse is at the end of verse 10, when they're crying out to the Lord, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And just like here at this church, everyone's gathering to worship God, to mm-hmm. praise Him, to learn about Him, to grow as believers, to do His works on this earth. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's awesome. Totally. It's like, I don't I don't know if you ever thought about it, but like, it's like a whole bunch of people, like you can meet with a whole bunch of people, but then like at church, it's like, it's like you're gathering together for your concert. Like when you're meeting with Christians, those are your rehearsals and stuff, but then you're gathering (laughs) together on Sunday and it's like, it's like you're prepared, you've prepared, like. I don't know. You're just doing this awesome thing yeah. for the Lord. Like you're just gathering and proclaiming mm. the good news. I haven't thought about it that way. I like that. I th- I mean, I think that the the first thing that you that you were starting to say really made me think just about I mean, I think it just shows again how how much we individualize like well, I used to I mean, and it made me think back to when I remember taking part in worship, um, like at camp and things like that, where I was singing, I wasn't singing like to worship and glorify God. It was more of made me feel good. And I mean, I like that feeling. I don't think that's, I don't, I still don't think that's necessarily bad, but my motives were very individual. This was, it wasn't about, let's all come together and worship God together and glorify him. You know, let's 
take the time away to rest and to do this instead of doing work and et cetera. It was just about, so then it's just about me. So then when, you know, if COVID happens, then I'm like, well, why would I need to gather still? Like, it's about me. I can still worship in my bedroom. And so I don't need to go. There's, it's all individual. Um, and then there's a second thing that I was thinking of that I completely forgot. Well, uh, while you're waiting, there was one part of the definition that I want to draw should. attention to. Um, and that's like the church, the church being a group of Christians. And like the instant question that would arise in my mind when hearing this is like, well, what about bringing people to church? Like we try to bring like like our friends who have never heard the word to church all the time, and we're encouraged to do so. But like, if church is a group of Christians, what are like what are we bringing them to? Oh, totally. I mean, and I think even to a step further is like, we're saying it's the visible body of Christ. Can there be non-believe? Can there be non-believers in the body of Christ? Oh yeah, and I don't know if I. I don't know if I made this clear earlier. When we were, when we were saying the differences between local and the universal church, mm-hmm. universal church is like the invisible, everyone, and the local church is that visible kingdom of Christ mm-hmm. that we partake in. Like if we're all part, if we're all part of the body, the local church, each local church would be an individual part of yep. the body that makes up the whole. That has its own specific and really important function, but is distinct from all the other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of the best way to view it. Uh, but anyway, as you were saying, uh, what were you saying again? I was just I was just furthering that kind of thing that you brought up like okay, it's good to it's good to bring non-believers to church, but but you know, isn't that they're not a Christian, so why would we what's the deal bringing them into the local church? in that way yeah i think on this on the same topic of bringing them to church i think we also have to ask sir ask ourselves when we bring them to church what are we bringing them to because there's churches called secret churches Mm -hmm. which are like they kind of dumb down the teachings a bit and they they do like more emphasis on inviting in people and then there's other churches like the one I go to, which has uh, Bethel Baptist, which has like really rich, like theological sermons that if I was to bring someone to could just like go way over their head. And so there's that fear there. Like, what are we bringing these people to? Mm. I think. Firstly, with. Firstly, with um, bringing people to to church that are not believers i think this gets at maybe the the very end of that definition where and to all the world this is the because even in the old testament when israel is god's chosen people um the gentiles were still supposed to go and worship they were they were not allowed to go as close um to the temple but there was still a court in which they could gather and um, worship God. So the, uh, and don't take me 100% on this, but if I if I remember correctly, this is also called the women, the women's court. This is where the women would also, the, the furthest that, the, that women would be able to go. And this is the court that, kind of the outermost most court, and this is the court that Jesus made a whip and drove out all of the, the money lenders and um, just these these dishonest people that were selling sacrifices for Jews, that so they were taking this outer ring of the temple, and they were using it instead of as a place of worship, but as a den of thieves. And they were saying, let's let's you know, sell sacrifices to the Jews. Let's monetize this because they're coming from sixty miles away, and they then they can just buy a sacrifice here. And so they were using dishonest weights and et cetera, which the Old Testament also talks about. But they were forsaking, they were and just getting rid of the fact that Gentiles 
everyone was supposed to worship worship God. And so even someone that's not even a believer or outside of the family, there's still this man I believe there's still this mandate for them to worship and bow down before God. And to to kind of look forward, there's there's, you know, um this makes me think about Philippians chapter two where it talks about our what our attitude should be like with that of Jesus. And it says, um, your attitude should be like that of Christ Jesus, who in being very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, um, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus Every knee, every knee should bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so there's this. It's everybody. There's. It's not a, if you like it or not. And I always, I, I must have heard it somewhere where it's like, you're either going to bend your knee willingly in praise and glory to God, or he's going to bend your knee because he's God and you're not. And... I mean, I think that's why we should bring, kind of went on a tangent there, but I think that's why we should bring people to church who are not believers so that they might hear and repent and turn and believe. Right. And I mean, one of the other definitions we said for church is the church's act of charity. Is that not part of the act of charity of bringing people um, and trying to give them like, I mean, being obedient to God in bringing mm-hmm. them to this place and bringing them, trying to bring them to this fellowship and invite and invite them into the family. Totally, totally. And I mean, I think that comes back to the Great Commission. Like, this is this is our responsibility to do this. Um, and I think it's maybe good to go back to that second thing that you were saying about seeker churches, because I think this. I think this might. You might be able to categorize uh, seeker churches, maybe even in the same way that we are categorizing like Zoom church, right? So like, it's it's missing or watering down parts of what this definition of church is. It's not really living fully into it in the same way that I mean, not in the same ways that Zoom is, because you're there in person. There's possibly elders there. Um, but I think that it, it it's still in the same principle, just waters down parts of what it means to be church. Yeah, and I think one of the important, or one of the most important things that we have yet to touch on yet is preaching and teaching. Our preaching, teaching, and the elders, I should say. Um, and so uh, one of the things you had asked me before we were talking about this was like Mm -hmm. just posing the idea of in Matthew when it talks about when one or two or when two or more are gathered, I'm there also like is a gathering of like four Christians. Is that church? Because we're gathering and we all love God and we may do these things. Like, would that be church? No. I mean, I would have to agree because, like, <laughs> now we we come to we come to kind of my favorite part. Uh, I do love some good preaching and teaching. Um, just the elders and what mm-hmm. they're doing and what their role is there. Um, one of my favorite verses in Hebrews talked about this one a lot. Um, I believe it's in Hebrews six. Oh, do you already have it? I have it, bro. All right, read it. We were thinking on the same. We were thinking on the same like wavelength right here. You knew I was going to come to so, it. So I'll start in, um, let me see here. I'm going to start in 511. Uh, about, uh, let me check. Yeah, sure. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God, You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the work of righteousness, 
since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Just the distinction of milk and solid food for believers. When we come to Christ and we're hearing these basic things and we hear this milk and we're nourished on that, what then do we do? We grow. We grow. I mean, that's part of what it means to be in a Christian is like an ever-growing relationship with God, Mm -hmm. growing ever closer to him. And that's one of the reasons why attending church is so important because it's made for our benefit, for our growth, so that we can receive solid food, so that we can go, go there on Sunday and come back and be like, wow. Like, I just learned a lot, and now I'm passionate to go and, like, read my Bible and really study mm-hmm. up on this. And it's awesome. Like, that's one of the aspects that I enjoy the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of the aspects that I think hasn't hasn't been fully acknowledged, especially for people our age, where most of us are, most kids our age are, like, pretty immature Christians. And so, yeah, and I mean, that's the thing. We're growing. We're going, we should be growing in maturity. But where should we do that? Right. Yeah, I think, I think that this passage really, I mean, it it teaches, it teaches just such fundamental, like, um, just the principle of eating meat, eating meat and not just drinking milk. Like, um, that's just a really powerful, in a powerful image, but this this um, also ties into the the conversation about secret churches because it talks about you know therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God. Let's not just let's not just say well every week we're just going to preach. We're just going to preach God and his love, and that's it. And we're going to do that every week. And we're just going to try to bring as many people so they're going to hear just the most basic milk possible. But Jesus didn't say, make believe. Go, go, therefore go and make believers. He says, therefore go and make disciples. And there's a distinction there, I think, um, very much so that it's not just, you know, uh, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm thinking about like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and kind of how he's always like, we're obligated to do these things. As someone who is a believer, it's not just that I'm taking up my cross, I'm dying daily, and I'm, my life is oriented around this, and there's commitments there, and I'm growing. I'm growing in the faith, and I'm growing in my responsibilities, and... um there's a kind of he talks about prayer like this he says um when he's talking about prayer i had to do a presentation for a class and there was a quote with him about it and about how prayer isn't just something that we do when we feel like it but it's actually obligated and that doesn't mean that we're not free like we're free to do so many good things but but in the same way that church something that we should go to, that we're, we're called to go to. Just like we're called not to commit sins, you know. There, there are things that we are told that we can't do that's for our good and for our benefit. And, yeah, I think it comes back to the, well, why? Why are we, why are we, den- why would we deny an opportunity to go, especially to go outside of, I mean, I think for me personally, to go outside of Bethel and learn from those more mature than me. Yeah. Um, kind of one last note on those secret churches. 
is the fear that they have and the reason why those churches exist mm-hmm. is that if I try to bring someone who doesn't know the Lord to a church like Bethlehem Baptist, they're going to hear the sermon and think it was like quantum physics. Like they're just they're just not going to understand what does it. it. Mean? They're not going to understand any of it, and that's the fear. Yeah. But as you were hitting upon, we're not doesn't say go and make believers. It says go and make disciples. And so what we are called to do is we're called to be obedient, and we're called to grow, and we're called to make disciples, and we're called to speak the truth in love. We shouldn't have to be worried about whether or not they're going to, like, the sermon's going to be watered watered down so that they can understand. Maybe we'll break it down so that they can mm-hmm. understand afterwards as the friend who invited them. Totally. But ultimately, the, the question becomes, who is turning the hearts? Is it man mm-hmm. or is it God? Is it man with the control over what we have over, like, what we preach? Or like, or control over like, oh, how intense is this preaching going to be? How inviting is the worship going to be? Or is it God who speaks through those means? Mm-hmm. And I think this this really makes me think about, and I I feel like I see this everywhere right now is, or this idea always to me is what Paul says in Romans Romans one, sixteen sixteen, where he says, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel." For it is the power of God for salvation to whoever believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Like, to whoever believes, that's, we're talking about this diverse group of people. Doesn't matter what you've been. He later says a few few verses after that, I am, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Everybody. But it's not the power of Paul. It's the power of God. And I think that's why I would argue that's why he spends so much time talking about the sinfulness of man, the wickedness of men, before he even gets to the gospel, like in chapter 4 of Romans. He's like, yeah, let me just tell you how bad you guys are. The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. And that would turn away so many people. And we don't, we don't preach like that anymore where we just say something like that. But... Yeah, it calls into question your, you know, what's your mo- what are your motives, and why do you think? Why are you trying? I mean, I would just ask, why were you trying to make the gospel less offensive than it is? Because it is offensive, and it's going to change everything in your life, and that's that's a good thing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the gospel is amazing. Um, and so going on to this preaching, um, mm-hmm. we've really only read that one verse in Hebrews. Mm-hmm. So we still have a kind of like been like, oh, why is teaching and preaching so central and like elders who are doing this stuff? And uh, we see throughout the Bible multiple, multiple places in like First Peter 5 and in Titus and in First Timothy on, instructor, on instructions for elders and what they should be. Do you have a Do you have a passage in First Peter five? I do have a passage in First Peter five. I'd love to read. Um, Go for it. He says, "So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you." Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For, quote, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Yeah, here you go. I was going to just ask what you thought was so important about that. That's a great question. I think that there's a lot of important things about that. I think for the shepherds, it's recognizing 
their submission to the chief shepherd. I think that's really important because that's what kind of he touches, he just you know says this a few different ways. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. This is the responsibility of a higher calling, a higher responsibility of these shepherds because it's really easy. I think, you know, people maybe are afraid of this and maybe this is why people don't want to take part in church sometimes is they're afraid that they're going to be domineered over, told, exact, told you know, what they have to do in certain things that is like, you know, overreach basically. And, and so being afraid to submit themselves really to this authority. Um, I, I personally think that's kind of, it's freeing, but I can understand why you'd be afraid that this person isn't really, isn't fulfilling their role. Essentially they're, they're overreaching They're They're going beyond what they're supposed to do. Yeah. And, um, on that same topic of like Christ as the chief shepherd, I think it's really important to never forget while he has placed shepherds like the elders over us to learn from them who Christ is the ultimate ruler of the church. He is the chief shepherd and the ruler over all of them, um, which is especially important in recognizing what is a fruitful church and what isn't. There's also um, another passage in 1 Timothy where they give qualifications for overseers. So in this, it's referring to elders. This is uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through, uh, 1 through 2. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one life, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Mm. I think that just hits upon the line of this importance of teaching, especially in the church, and this role that the elders have in teaching us. Um, and so it's really this beautiful thing of, I can go, I can go to church, and I can be in a be in a relationship with these people who God has put in my life to spiritually grow me. Mm-hmm. And it's really awesome being able to come up to them, being able to go up to my pastor and ask him a question about the Bible or being able to like go on Sunday and take heed in the words that my pastor is saying. Mm-hmm. Like the learning that I get from that is fruitful it's really good and it's not our it's not every christian's responsibility to to you know study and look at commentaries and blah 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 for like seven hours a day that's not that's not reasonable and i think one 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 passage that comes to mind in that is sack six uh, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the, num- the full number of the disciples and said, quote, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so it is here, it's the apostles' responsibility and it's the the pastor's responsibility in the church to dedicate themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. And it's the job of the deacons and of, of I think, really all, all church members to go out and to do, to do these good works, being equipped by the pastors to do those things. And I think that's, you can see the next six, I'm sure you can see it in other places. This is how the church is supposed to function, and it functions well when it's done this way. God, God set it up this way. Yeah. Um, 
Is there anything more you want to say on teaching or elders? Because otherwise I've got one more question for you. I'm ready. All right, so you kind of talked about this earlier, but I feel like after talking about all this stuff, we can go a little bit more in depth. So, Bethel University. Is it a church? Because you know you got, you have uh, pastors here. They uh, they do some talking, you know, some talking about the Bible sometimes on on chapel. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, sometimes um, they go they go and worship. Uh, there's there's gatherings for worship here. Vespers. There's there's Christians here. They they mm-hmm. gather. There's like there's the pastors who preach. You know, is it a church? No. But why? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. I, I mean, I don't think it's a church. And I think the first thing that's worth saying is, it's not called a church. If it was a church, it would call itself a tr- call it, call itself a church. And so that's, you know, point number one. You know, that's like okay, well, yeah, sure. But but I do think that that's. I think. I think yeah. I think people. I think it's very easy to think. Well, how important is it? you know, as a Christian that I go to church, if I'm already going to a Christian institution, it's really easy to, to kind of feed ourselves that lie. And I, I think there's, there's a few reasons. And I think it's the, there's no giving of the ordinances. And, and I've heard you say this before, like no one gets baptized no, no one's getting baptized here. We're not all taking communion together. Uh, no one's getting baptized at chapel. Please, please no. don't take that idea. Please, please don't. <laughs> and, and also, there's, there's. I really don't think that there's any sort of elders here dedicated to. Dedicated to you know being shepherd, shepherds. I don't think that we see that. Um. Yeah, I don't know if you have any more thoughts on it. I mean, well. it's just you look at the fundamental differences. The local church, the thing that we're talking about that's so important, mm-hmm. is designed to be the visible kingdom of Christ for the building up of believers, the expansion of the gospel in in preaching and in acts of charity. So those two things. So showing Christ's love to the world as the visible kingdom would, um, and then building up the believers, building up the citizens of that kingdom. In the in a college institution, a Christian college institution like Bethel, their primary goal is to educate, and it's not necessarily always educating in godliness. It may be educating with godliness, as in like Christians who are educating you, but it doesn't fulfill the same role. Yep, those primary roles are switched for sure. I think I think that's clear. I mean, I just I'm just thinking that I think there are people out there that will could listen to this whole thing and just say, "Well, that was a, you know, verse from Deuteronomy that you used to say that we're commanded to gather." And I just don't think it, you know, these things are that important. Um, I don't know if you would, if, I mean, I definitely know, kind of think I would say things to them, but I don't know if you have any things that you, what would you say to somebody that says, well, I just don't think that I, that this really applies to me. Uh, let's see. There's a really good, in the book I was talking about earlier, they said something really good. Oh, here it is. The point is not that attending church makes you a Christian. The point is that attending church is what Christians do. Mm. And so if you say, well, I I really don't think these things are important. You think that growing with God, that like your spiritual growth, that growing with God is not important. Like the church is here for you. The church is here for your betterment, for your betterment. And to not take a hold of that, it would be folly. Oh, folly. Totally. I would, I think, and I, I would just, I would just have said it 
just like that. I'd probably just say, say the same thing a slightly different way. Are you submitted to the word of God? And I think that's, that's a, I would ask that question. I wouldn't just say it. I would ask the question, are you submitted to the, to the word of God? And are you, are you taking those things seriously? Um, yeah. And I, and I mean, I think both you and I would say that, that these, I mean, this, this matters and it's been very, very impactful for us to be able to go to church. Um, I'm very, I'm very thankful for that. And I think if any, if anybody could get anything out of this, it would be hopefully just be encouragement for our brothers and sisters in Christ that we, we are so blessed to partake every Sunday together with other believers and to grow, um, and to walk this, this journey of life together. Um, yeah, I don't know if you have any other, no, no, I'm all good, man. Perfect. Yeah. That's, that's our hope. That's our hope and prayer is that, um, and I guess we didn't even really talk about this at the beginning, but we're going to be doing some theological, theological conversations and, and I think that's kind of our hope for this January and for any other times that the the two of us are together is talk about theology in a way that's going to glorify God and it's going to um, encourage and push the people that listen to it and us as well. I think this has been a really very thankful for this conversation personally as well. Amen. So with that, this has been episode 10 of Anti-Folly. Thanks for listening. See you guys next week.